Welcome to the American Academy of Dermatology's Dialogues in Dermatology podcast series. This podcast is certified for CME credit. For credit information, visit Dialogues in Dermatology at aad.org slash OLC. The information in this CME activity is for continuing education purposes only. It is not intended to establish a standard of care and is not meant to substitute for independent medical judgment of a health provider relative to the diagnostic, management, and treatment options of a specific patient's medical condition. At the conclusion of this learning activity, listeners should be able to recognize the appropriate use of systemic therapies in the management of hydradenitis suppurativa and its associated symptoms. Hello, and welcome to Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Dr. Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. We have another exciting podcast for you today. We hope that you enjoy. Hydradenitis suppurativa, or HS, is a chronic and debilitating inflammatory skin disorder that is known to disproportionately impact women and individuals with skin of color. Despite having an uncertain etiology, it is known that follicular occlusion and inflammation occur in response to genetic and environmental factors. Through a continued inflammatory response, there is subsequent destruction of the pilosebaceous unit and surrounding adnexal structures, leading to the formation of tender erythematous papules and nodules and subcutaneous abscesses in the apocrine regions of the skin, such as the axilla, inguinal, and anogenital areas. In the moderate and severe forms, draining sinus tracts and fibrosis are observed. In this episode of Dialogues in Dermatology, Drs. Benjamin Stoff and Lauren Orenstein discuss what is new surrounding the comorbidities, screening measures, and clinical management of those affected by HS. Hello and welcome to another edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. I'm Ben Stoff from Emory University, and the topic for today's Dialogues is what's new in the treatment of hydradenitis suppurativa? To have this discussion, it's my honor and pleasure to introduce my friend and colleague from down the hall, Dr. Lauren Orenstein. Dr. Orenstein is Assistant Professor of Dermatology at Emory University School of Medicine. Dr. Orenstein directs the HS Clinic at Emory and has become a real national leader in clinical research about and care for patients with HS. Lauren, welcome and thank you for having a dialogue with me today. It's a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me to talk about HS, a topic that's very near and dear to my heart. Yes, indeed it is. And we're thrilled to have you. And on the note of just HS generally, before we jump into sort of what's new in the treatment and management of HS, just remind our listeners about why HS is such an important disease in dermatology. Sure. So hydradenitis superativa has an extremely profound impact on patients' quality of life. The quality of life of people living with HS has been compared to patients living with in-stage heart failure, heart failure that qualifies for transplantation. So this is an incredibly impactful disease for our patients. I think as dermatologists, we're pretty uniquely positioned to help patients feel heard and understood, to help advise them about making decisions and combining medical and surgical therapies and ultimately to help our patients live their best lives. And that can be an incredibly rewarding thing as a provider to take part in. Further, HS disproportionately impacts persons of color and women. And until relatively recently, this disease has received relatively little attention. I think that 
that is rapidly changing. And I am very hopeful that we are in the next five years going to be entering into a whole new era of treatment. So I think it's a very exciting time for us as dermatologists to be able to engage and to make a difference in the lives of traditionally underserved patients. Really beautifully put, Lauren. So I think we're hearing that HS is severe in a way that's comparable to really severe diseases in other organs that I think like captures the attention of the medical community and the public. You know, this is a disease we own in a way. I think although probably optimal care is interdisciplinary, dermatology really is the gatekeeper for this condition. And that's an important role for us to really embrace. We also see some really significant health disparities related to HS that hopefully are getting more attention now because of the work you're doing and other people are doing. All the more reason that we really need to pay attention to what's new. Okay, great. So let's move on now to talk about some of the new pearls in management of HS. Lauren, what are some new discoveries regarding lifestyle modifications for HS patients? So I think, Ben, that there's really not a lot that's new about lifestyle changes in HS. We don't have any high quality data suggesting that lifestyle changes improve HS disease severity or trajectory. So the main thing right now that I would recommend to providers is to avoid stigmatizing people with HS. When we do have conversations about things like weight and smoking, to be sensitive in the way that we approach those and to be sure that we're not blaming patients for their disease. That's a great point, Lauren. I think just my limited experience with HS patients is that they often have this sense that it's somehow their fault, something they've been doing wrong, something hygienic and so forth. So I think maybe our role is reassuring patients that it's really not that is as important as anything in a kind of way of expressing compassion and so forth, which you put so well. What about comorbidities, Lauren? I, I do feel like we're reading more about lessons learned with respect to relationships to other diseases in HS. What are some of the things that we've discovered about that? Yeah, so there are some really exciting updates. Recently, the Canadian and American HS Foundations put out comorbidity screening in HS guidelines that were published in JAD in January of 2021. And I think that there's a role for us as dermatologists to screen for some of these comorbidities. And also very importantly, a lot of patients are coming into us, their young, otherwise healthy patients are coming into us and maybe haven't been screened appropriately for some of these other guidelines. So some of our role may be to plug patients in with primary care doctors. From a skin exam standpoint, we can screen for severe acne, dissecting cellulitis, pyoderma gangrenosum, or if we're seeing a patient with Down syndrome for some other unrelated skin complaint, we can ask them about HS or potentially look at their skin and see if there are signs of HS. From a dermatology perspective, we may also want to use review of systems and screening questionnaires to pick up on things like anxiety and depression. Patients with HS are at increased risk of suicide compared to other patient populations. We can also screen for things like inflammatory bowel disease, spondyloarthritis, tobacco smoking, and sexual dysfunction. In terms of important things to loop patients in with the primary care doctor for hypertension, diabetes, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and dyslipidemia are also associated with HS. Great, Laura. Yeah, I think we're understanding HS in much the same way that we understand psoriasis as a kind of systemic inflammatory disease. And I think now, you know, as would be standard with a patient with severe psoriasis, really feel like they need to have primary care as part 
of their management team. And you're absolutely right. Some of the AHS patients are younger and may not have thought of that. So that's a great thing to be thinking about. We're seeing the importance of screening for metabolic diseases and psychiatric conditions. Lauren has the most surveys of anyone in our clinic, I think, in terms of intake, which is really great and warranted in this population. And then also, of course, not neglecting other skin diseases that affect these patients as well. That's great, Lauren. We know also that, as you mentioned early on, quality of life is a huge concern for patients with HS and therefore patient support is a really important thing for HS. What are some of the recommendations you make to patients with regard to support groups? So there are a lot of support groups out there. I particularly try to connect my patients with a support group called Hope for HS. It's a completely grassroots patient-led organization, but they've also teamed up with local healthcare providers. They have meetings now in the COVID era that are virtual. I encourage patients to also take family members uh, because a lot of patients have a hard time talking about their disease with their loved ones. Other sources of support that I sometimes refer patients to are therapists and mental health professionals, particularly therapists with experience in chronic pain, sexual dysfunction, and depression. And lastly, I have really enjoyed recently collaborating with some of the providers in our palliative care clinic and supportive care clinic who have been very helpful in assisting patients and their family members as they cope with the many different ways that the serious illness can impact life from pain to lost time at work and difficulty functioning at work to collaboration between a multidisciplinary team. Wonderful, Lauren. I think that's really well put. Hope for HS is a great organization. I know Lauren has really championed and I love that it's kind of patient driven. I also think the recommendation to have family members be part of that is really crucial. It's something that the burden falls on many people when someone's really severely affected with HS and you're right about the communication barriers that exist. Also involving mental health providers, really important. I love the idea of collaboration with palliative care. I think that's something dermatology has not exploited enough. And I think both disciplines can really learn from each other. And we think similarly about things in many ways, even though we work in parallel often. <laughs> okay, great, Lauren. So let's move on to something that I think may be underappreciated with respect to HS, and that is pain and the debilitating effects that, that pain can have on HS. You've developed an interest in this, Lauren, and have recently led an interdisciplinary team that published an algorithm for treating pain in these patients. Can you give us some of the key points of that work that you championed? Absolutely. Thanks for the question, Ben. I think one of the most important things for our patients when they come in and tell us that they're in pain is to take it seriously, to give them time to talk about it, to listen, asking about what they're using and have used we're doing some qualitative work now, which has given me the opportunity to really hear patients talk at length about their pain experiences. And it's just, it's telling to me the, the many different ways that pain impacts their quality of life from ability to do small things like get dishes off of shelves and hugging loved ones to being able to perform at work. What this has really opened my eyes to is the need to treat the symptom of pain in parallel to the inflammatory skin disease because of the profound impact that pain alone as a symptom has on patients' quality of life. In terms of how to actually treat the pain, I think that a lot more work is needed. We have put together an algorithm that is based on clinical experience, but not yet backed up by good data. And we want to need those studies and data 
the things that I try to do clinically are to kind of separate out acute pain from chronic pain. And when we're treating that acute pain, try to get a sense of how often that's happening, because that's going to drive what kind of medications we feel comfortable using for the acute pain. For the acute pain, topicals, things like topical lidocaine, things like acetaminophen, although a lot of patients don't have enough benefit from acetaminophen, NSAIDs if they have good kidney function. And I do sometimes prescribe patients opioid medications because sometimes in those acute flares, that really is all that is able to control their pain. For the more chronic pain, some of my favorite agents to use are duloxetine. The SNRI has dual benefit too for if there's comorbid depression and gabapentin. Great, Lauren. Yeah, I think we need to respect the pain that these patients experience and how debilitating it can be. I think the idea that we need to treat the pain itself is really important for us to remember as well. I like how you think about this in terms of acute versus chronic pain, frequency, prior medications used, some of the agents you think about in the acute setting versus the chronic setting, or what's your sort of threshold for involvement of pain management in a referral setting? Great question. It has varied over time. It depends somewhat on the relationship that a patient has with their primary care doctor, because if they have a good relationship and their primary care doctor is comfortable, that's always kind of where I would like to start if it's beyond my comfort. Patients who require multiple agents, patients who are having frequent flares and or chronic pain that are not well controlled with duloxetine or gabapentin are people who I will typically refer And then I'll also just ask patients, what do you want? Would it be helpful for you to have a pain management doc on your team? Or would it be helpful to have a supportive care doc on your team? And kind of explaining what each of those fields entails. Yeah, great. It's fine balance. I mean, I think we want to have the best team in place. We also need to be mindful of overwhelming patients with so many appointments and not really paying attention to what they want and need. So very good point there, Lauren, as well. I'm going to pause for just a second here, Lauren, in terms of the sort of treatments, more conventional treatments to think about, to emphasize most, Lauren, what do you think would be the most fruitful? Should we just jump straight to systemic therapy? Should we do some stuff about local or procedural? What do you think would be, and you mentioned that topical, not as much new development there. Mm -hmm. Just want to kind of. I would say probably systemics and the things that I would kind of highlight about systemics that are maybe new are spironolactone for kind of mild HS for women with mild HS works well. The idea of using adalimumab, adalimumab as not a last line therapy, but really kind of pairing to the degree of inflammatory disease, not just scarring, because it's kind of too late by the time people have scarred. And then I could also highlight some of the therapies that are in clinical trials now. Okay. All right. So we'll jump to that. Okay, great. Okay, Lauren. So let's move on to some of the kind of conventional therapeutic modalities that we often think about with HS. And we're actually going to start with systemic therapies. What are some new approaches or maybe old drugs used in new ways that you're incorporating in clinic from a systemic perspective? Thanks for that question, Ben. First, I love using spironolactone to treat Mm relatively mild HS in female patients. I started at hundred milligrams once a day. Data show anywhere from 75 milligrams or so and up is pretty effective in HS. 
and it's well tolerated by patients. It avoids long-term antibiotic use. Particularly, I find it clinically useful for people who are flaring in their thighs or around the times of their period. For other systemic therapies, I also would just highlight or encourage providers not to be too shy when it comes to using adalimumab for moderate to severe HS. I think that traditionally we have thought of it as being a last line type of therapy and that patients need to complete a whole ladder of other therapies before reaching adalimumab. But I would encourage providers that if you're not getting good control of the moderate to severe inflammatory disease, that it probably is appropriate to initiate adalimumab a little bit earlier to prevent extensive scarring. Because once extensive scarring has happened, it's much more difficult to treat HS medically. Great, Lauren. Love spironolactone. Great drug. And love that it's being extended to be used more in the HS population. We're thinking about patients who seem to flare around menses or have particular distribution of HS, a great drug in that setting. Also like your idea of adalimumab earlier on, just to flesh that out a little bit more, Lauren, what sort of threshold might you use to consider that drug? And I like how you framed it more as maybe even a preventative measure. Given that often we think about it's only indicated for quote severe disease, how has your threshold shifted? Sure. So for patients with early stage two or three HS who come in, it is one of my first line therapies. And even if there are only a few tunnels in those early stage two patients, particularly if I see a lot of inflammatory disease. So if I'm seeing a lot of abscesses and inflammatory nodules, and if they do not respond to an initial course of antibiotic therapy, I just don't want to leave people uncontrolled for too long. In terms of patients with Hurley stage one disease, I have sometimes prescribed adalimumab. And again, we'll do that in the context of when someone has poorly controlled inflammatory disease. Typically for Hurley stage one patients, though, I will try other systemic therapies before escalating to adalimumab. Great, Lauren. Thank you. And I think it's good to be thinking in those terms. Some degree when the scarring's already taken, it's quote, too late, although not too late for therapy, but it's hard to reverse those effects. So in some ways it's analogous to kind of the considerations with a nodular cystic acne patient, where we need to really think about early intervention to prevent some of those sequelae that are so difficult to manage later. Great. All right, Lauren, we know that with the advent of biologics, there have been some interest in expanding the therapeutic arsenal for HS. What are some of the newer therapies that may be in trials or have some limited experience in the clinic that you're really excited about? There are a lot of new medications in the pipeline for HS, which is really exciting um, for our patients and the future of this disease. There are IL-17 inhibitors. Secukinumab is currently in clinical trials. Complement inhibitors, as well as JAK inhibitors that are in clinical trials for HS right now. There are a lot of new exciting therapies in the pipeline for HS, which is wonderful for our patients, and I think is going to revolutionize how we're able to treat this disease in the future. The main medications currently in the pipeline are IL-17 inhibitors, JAK inhibitors, and complement inhibitors. I haven't yet used any complement inhibitors clinically, but I have some experience using JAK inhibitors and IL-17 inhibitors for HS. The IL-17 inhibitors I've found particularly helpful to have on hand for patients who have kind of moderate inflammatory disease activity, and for whatever reason, either have a contraindication or haven't responded to adalimumab. 
it's nice to have another option that patients can administer at home. Whereas in the past, I've traditionally always had to just escalate those patients to infliximab infusions. Um, in terms of JAK inhibitors, I have tended to use those more for my patients with really severe inflammatory skin disease and extensive scarring who have failed a lot of other therapies. And it's, I think, especially for patients who are afraid of doing injections at home, it's been nice for them to have an oral option as well. Nice, Lauren. I like the way you're thinking of that. I, the future of these drugs is not entirely certain, but I think we're getting a sense of what roles they may play for patients who maybe say aren't responding to TNF-alpha inhibition or who have significant inflammation, maybe other sort of comorbid dermatologic conditions that may benefit from JAK inhibitors. Okay, great. Very exciting stuff. Okay, Lauren. Well, before we close, let's focus just for a moment about any new discoveries regarding surgical interventions for HS. I know that's something you do a lot of in clinic. What are some new developments there that listeners would be interested in? Absolutely. Thanks for the question, Ben. I think that the surgical interventions that we have are pretty similar to if you had talked to me two or three years ago, right. excision with scalpel, CO2 laser, de-roofing. But I think the thing that is new and exciting is the application of ultrasound to map out and plan surgeries for patients with hydradenitis superativa. I can't tell you the number of times that I have planned to do an HS surgery, thought it was going to be short, relatively uninvolved thing. And then the tunnels are just like roots under a tree. They can go as far as they want and sometimes leaves patients with much bigger defects than they had anticipated or wanted and also takes a lot more time than expected. I think there's great potential for ultrasound to help us manage patients' expectations and plan our surgeries better. That's super exciting. Yes, I could even in my own limited practice with HS can relate to that. Sometimes it's just tip of the iceberg sort of phenomenon. It would be great to have a better sense for better planning purposes for these patients from a surgical perspective. Okay, well, great, Lauren. We've covered a lot today about HS, about just its importance as a dermatologic disease, the really devastating effects it has on patients. You know, some of the important things to be thinking about in terms of lifestyle modifications, comorbidities, and support. We talked about the importance of pain management. We talked about some new systemic approaches to the treatment of HS, whether it be with old drugs or newer drugs, and some new surgical approaches as well. Lauren, before we close, what are a couple of sort of take-home points for our listeners about new treatments for HS? Take-home points. One, HS really really impacts people's quality of life. And it's so important for us as providers to lend an empathic ear to that and to listen to patients. Pain really separately from just at the inflammatory skin disease really impacts patients' quality of life and is something worth being treated, whether we as the dermatologists are doing it or we're involving a multidisciplinary team. Sometimes using adalimumab earlier than what was traditionally thought can be very helpful to our patients. Adalimumab can help prevent progression of disease. And so I would encourage people not to be shy with using biologics and HS. And lastly, there are a lot of exciting therapeutics coming down the pipeline, which I'm optimistic will really change the landscape of how we're able to treat this devastating disease in the future. Wonderful, Lauren. So we heard empathy, 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 appreciate and respect and treat pain as a unique experience in HS patients, really early aggressive treatment with biologics, almost as a preventative measure, and then be excited about new things coming down the pike. Thanks to people like Lauren. 
Well, Lauren, thank you again for having a dialogue and for all the great work that you're doing on a really devastating and important disease. And thanks also to our listeners for tuning in to another edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. Thank you so much, Ben. Rather than focusing on tobacco use and obesity as main associations, HS is now recognized as a systemic inflammatory disorder linked to multiple comorbid conditions. Cutaneous comorbidities include acne vulgaris, conglobata, dissecting cellulitis, and pilonidal cysts, while systemic manifestations include metabolic syndrome, inflammatory bowel disease, spondyloarthropathy, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and sexual dysfunction. Additionally, due to its debilitating nature, those with HS have an increased prevalence of developing depression, generalized anxiety disorder, and completing suicide. Despite some of the screening methods recommended by the United States and Canadian HS foundations being out of scope for dermatologists, Dr. Ornstein stresses the importance of completing a thorough full-body skin examination and review of systems to assist in the identification of these comorbidities. Therefore, these guidelines serve as a point-of-care reference that encourage dermatologists to connect patients with primary care physicians for further screening purposes. In addition to assessing for comorbidities, Dr. Ornstein stresses the importance of inquiring about the pain experienced by patients with HS, which can have a significant impact on quality of life. As one of the chronic manifestations of this condition, associated pain is challenging and has been documented to be undertreated in many patients. Along with topical lidocaine, acetaminophen, non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, and opioid medications for acute pain, Dr. Ornstein recommends the use of duloxetine in patients with comorbid depression and gabapentin for chronic HS-related pain. This may be managed with the assistance of a primary care physician and or pain management specialist to optimize regimens if needed. The approach to management of HS is often multifactorial. Topical and oral antibiotics, retinoids, hormonal therapies, and biologics remain as the mainstay of medical therapy. However, despite previous underutilization, Dr. Ornstein recommends that early intervention with systemic therapeutics should not be feared. In particular, she highlights using spironolactone for mild cases involving the inner thighs, exacerbated by menses, as well as adalibumab in moderate to severe cases, even at early stage 2, to prevent scarring and improve quality of life. Additionally, there are current clinical trials investigating novel agents such as interleukin-17, complement and genus kinase or JAK inhibitors. Of particular interest is how these agents can be viable treatment options for patients with recalcitrant moderate to severe disease, and for those who are uncomfortable performing injections at home, JAK inhibitors provide an oral option. When surgical care is indicated, Dr. Ornstein encourages the use of ultrasound prior to intervention to map and plan excisions. This preparation has been associated with improved surgical outcomes and patient expectations through the identification of underlying tunnels and sinus tracts that may be undetectable by skin examination. Regardless of the pain and treatment regimen selected, Dr. Ornstein emphasizes that the most influential aspect of caring for this patient population is compassion. This includes sensitivity in the discussion of comorbidities and avoidance of stigmatization during counseling. In fact, at times, the role of the dermatologist is not to simply treat, but to create a multidisciplinary network, which may include primary care physicians, pain management specialists, mental health professionals, family members, and peer support, in order to provide avenues for patients with HS to receive ample support on their journey toward an improved quality of life. 
We hope you have enjoyed this edition of Dialogues in Dermatology. This is Todd Schlesinger, your Editor-in-Chief. For more podcasts, including bonus issues, check us out online at the website of the American Academy of Dermatology or through the Dialogues in Dermatology app. You can now also sync your subscription to your favorite podcast app. New podcasts are released each week in addition to our monthly JAD podcasts. We hope you enjoy these new options for listening to Dialogues and the increasing content for your listening pleasure. Thank you.